Good afternoon. Happy Friday. It is a wonderful day, Lafayette, 232-1542. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. So very happy to be with y'all right out of the gate. Some breaking news to uh, discuss. You guys did hear it on the Fox News uh, report just now. Uh, but the Archbishop in San Francisco has declared that Nancy Pelosi is barred from receiving communion. This is a pretty, pretty big deal. I am hereby notifying you that you are not to present yourself for Holy Communion, and should you do so, you are not to be admitted to Holy Communion until such time as you publicly repudiate your advocacy for the legitimacy of abortion and confess and receive absolution. That uh, is from Archbishop Cordelione of San Francisco. This is a pretty big deal. Nancy Pelosi has touted herself as a very Catholic representative, but her advocacy of abortion uh, does call into question just how dogmatic a practicing Catholic she is because the Catholic Church is very much against abortion. It is murder in the Catholic Church's eyes. So we've reached a point where we're starting to see priests, bishops, uh, the archbishop here, uh, getting more aggressive on this. A friend of mine pointed out in an email that it seems like we've turned a corner and folks on the right where these issues are concerned have decided there's nothing to be gained from looking the other way uh, where the evils of things like abortion are concerned. I don't want to say it's the church engaging in a culture war, but it does have that feeling where the church is now getting more active in this particular social battle. And the one thing my friend mentions in the email is that he's not sure whether this is something you give Donald Trump credit for or something that Trump is more of a symptom of. I don't think Trump leads Catholic churches to deny Democrats communion. Uh, Donald Trump himself is not a very religious person. Asked on multiple occasions uh, if he sought forgiveness from God, he actually said I, he sees no reason to. Um, but So I don't think Trump is inspiring uh, you know, a, a revolution from the, the ministry. But I think that the fact that this is happening now means that Trump was a symptom of the coming fight, meaning that American voters were so tired of the status quo and, you know, the basic bickering and back and forth and nastiness of Washington, D.C., that they went with somebody who would take more of a fight to those sorts of things. And that's what we're seeing now. An archbishop in San Francisco now saying Nancy Pelosi is no longer to receive Holy Communion at Mass. Should she turn up to Mass here? That's a pretty significant deal. That is a pretty, pretty big deal. And it's worth noting as we get further and further into this most recent uptick in the abortion fight. The, the fight we're seeing comes on, you know, the heels of the leaked Dobbs case, the, the draft opinion of the Dobbs case. 
Furthermore, we're now just a few weeks away from the actual opinion coming from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court at the beginning of this week started dropping some opinions. Some folks figured that the Dobbs opinion would be dropped this week because the draft opinion was leaked. But it sounds like, based on the whispers out of Washington, D.C., that nothing from the draft opinion has actually changed. And that's still the opinion that the court will, the majority will be putting forward. The question is going to become who's in the majority. If it does stand, abortion as we know it changes in the country. Abortion will, will, will as an issue be a state issue. It's not going to be something that is by federal fiat from unelected judges. It will be something that states and state governments have to decide on. And that is pretty important. That is pretty key. That is how the system was supposed to be set, uh, was supposed to be based on how the founders set it up. So I'm curious to see how the majority holds and if the opinion changes when the Dobbs case drops. But in the meantime, the direct impact of this cultural fight once again is that we're seeing priests and bishops and archbishops taking a more active role in the fight against abortion, which is something that is to be commended. There are a lot of conservatives that I know who don't want to see political activism in the church. They, they, they were very upset with how political a lot of churches became in the years of Donald Trump, but they look at the abortion issue as separate and look at this as a pure religious fight that they are happy to see the church start to take a more active stance on. And I agree. I think it's actually a very good thing to see this. Now, obviously this is going to be controversial and this is going to lead a bunch on the left to start calling for the removal of tax exempt status of churches that oppose abortion because they're going to consider this political speech, but it's not. It is a key religious issue. But the left will try to come after churches once again. The problem for the left is that they don't have a whole lot more time to be in power before the November election. There's new data out on that. I linked this on Facebook. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break in just a second, but, but I want to tease it first. A new poll from the Associated Press shows that Biden's approval is now at a record low in their polls. And some of the testimonials from the voters they talked to in this poll are pretty damning. 232-1542. We're going to talk about that after we come back from this break right here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in and be part of the conversation, Joe Biden's approval. According to the AP NORC poll, two-thirds of Americans disapprove of the job he is doing. Right now, he's got a 39% approval rating. Uh, it is 5% among Republicans. That's not a surprise, but it is down to 73% approval among Democrats. He started with an approval of, 20, uh, of 97% among Democrats and it has steadily gone downhill. When was it? Uh, it had a peak uh, about mid-April 
but has just sunk further. But as important as that data is this. I don't know how much worse it can get, said Mylon Ramsey, a 29-year-old high school counselor and Democrat in Santa Monica, California, who, with her husband, had to move into her parents' house to raise their infant son. Ramsey thinks the economic dysfunction that's led to her being unable to afford the place where she grew up isn't Biden's fault, but she's alarmed he hasn't implemented ambitious plans for fighting climate change or fixing health care. He hasn't delivered on any of the promises I felt like the stimulus checks came out and that was the last win of his administration, Ramsey said of Biden. I think he's tired and this is key and I don't blame him. I'd be tired too at his age with the career he's had. Jerry Taranzo, a nurse and a Republican in Chicago, blames Biden for being forced to pinch pennies by taking steps like driving slower to conserve gas after prices have skyrocketed during his administration. His policies are destroying the economy, Taranzo said blaming Biden for stopping the Keystone XL pipeline to Canada and hamstringing domestic energy production. It's a vicious cycle of price increases. Here's where it gets worse. Manuel Morales, an internet service technician in Moline, Illinois, thinks the pandemic and war in Ukraine have had a far bigger impact than Biden's decisions, but the 58-year-old Democrat is now questioning the benefits of Biden's biggest legislative achievement, the American Rescue Plan, and its stimulus checks. It helped a lot of people, but, Morales said, people did not want to go back to work. Morales faults Biden on another area of persistent vulnerability to the president, immigration. Only 38% of voters back Biden on immigration, and Morales is disappointed at the scenes of migrants continuing to cross the southern border. Though he himself is a Mexican immigrant, Morales thinks that the U.S. needs to more stringently control its border to have a hope of legalizing deserving migrants who are in the country illegally. Also, Morales said, there have to be limits. It's impossible to bring the whole of Central America and Mexico into this country. Charles Penn, a retired factory worker in Huntington, Indiana, is satisfied with Joe Biden's performance on Ukraine. But overall, Penn, an independent who leans Republican, is disappointed with Biden and blames him for rising prices that have squeezed him into his in his retirement. The Democrats in the long run have screwed things up by pushing for higher wages, like going from seven an hour to 15 an hour, paid, uh, Penn said. The other side of it is that if you had Republicans, they'd cut my Social Security. Still, Penn thinks Biden should pay the political price. He's the captain of the ship, so he's responsible. Do you know what's not mentioned by any of those voters? It's something that the Democrats were really hoping would be a motivating factor going into November. It was basically their last shot. Every one of those voters had concerns with Biden and Biden's policy. Do you know what they weren't concerned about? Abortion. They had nothing to say about abortion. On the list of concerns that the majority of American voters have right now, abortion is nowhere to be seen. That is an issue for the Democrats because it's the one thing they're banking on right now. They have no accomplishments other than the American Rescue Plan, which, as 
you heard, some of the voters in that story actually are giving are are using that to blame Biden for some some of the economic mess we're in. But if the Democrats want to make it about abortion, they might find that the voters just reject them further. Why are you focusing on this when we literally cannot feed our families? We cannot afford to drive to work. But the Democrats and their allies are now attacking Republicans because many of them, many of the Republicans voted against the bill that the Democrats put forward to fix the form, the infant formula crisis. Do you know why the Republicans voted against it? It wasn't because Republicans are against solving the formula crisis. It's because the bill gave billions of dollars to the FDA to increase their salaries. The FDA, whose regulations and enforcement of just really insane protectionist policy where infant formula is concerned. The FDA, which has mishandled this crisis like others, the Democrats want to give them a pay raise for all their hard work. And 200 Republicans said, uh, no, this is stupid. And those Republicans were right. You should not be giving a bunch of federal employees a bunch of raises when they haven't done anything to earn it. But the Democrats want to use this as a talking point. The Republicans are against solving the infant crisis. They just want Biden and the Democrats to fail. No, they don't want to throw more taxpayer money at a fire. The dumpster fire that is the FDA, which sat on whistleblower complaints about the Abbott plant in Sturgis for months until it did something. And by the time it did something, it was too late. And we now have a shortage. But the Democrats' plan are these messaging bills, like a bill on codifying Roe versus Wade, codifying the legality and the right to an abortion, and a messaging bill that would be ostensibly about solving the formula crisis, but would just be giving a bunch of bureaucrats more money. And the Democrats are doing nothing to address the actual very real issues. They're doing nothing to solve the problem. You want to know what is really, really bad about this AP NORC poll? What really just shows how screwed the Democrats are? If you break the poll down by race, that 39% approval is again, across, that's the average across the board. Biden started his term with 94% approval among black voters, 70% approval among Hispanic voters, and 51% approval among white voters. As of right now, Biden has lost 47%, I'm sorry, 37% support among black voters. He's lost 
34% support among Hispanic voters. And he's lost 15% support among white voters. Biden's approval, according to this poll among black voters, is 57%. And among Hispanic voters, is tied with white voters at 36%. The Democrats are winning nothing if their Hispanic support is at 36% and their black support is at 57%. Because Hispanic voters will turn out and vote for Republicans and black voters will stay home. Some black voters may even be motivated to turn and vote for Republicans. 232-1542, let's take our bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, why is Clay Sheck Snyder in trouble? We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. A beautiful Friday, another warm one, but a beautiful Friday nonetheless. It's a good evening for graduations. I want to take this segment, take a moment to just congratulate the class of 2022. Y'all, about two-thirds of these kids' high school years have been overshadowed by a pandemic that forced some major social, emotional, and academic growth changes. We will never know the true depth of the impact that COVID-19 policies, not the disease itself, not the pandemic itself, but the policies implemented in response to it have had on kids across the country. In Louisiana, here locally, in, uh, in some of the surrounding parishes, we did what we could. We mitigated a lot of that here. And as a result, you can look at test scores and see that, that there was actually still a lot of growth and a lot of good things to come out of it. But these kids have gone through a lot of adversity. They went through something that nobody really could have predicted. And they were able to make their graduation. We're at the end of the school year. These students are going to walk across the stage. They're going to receive their diploma. And they're going to be off to their next life adventure. Whatever that adventure is, whether it is taking a year off, just working, jumping into a trade, jumping into a two-year degree or a four-year degree, working offshore, joining the military, whatever it is. These students are entering the next stage of life with experiences that really nobody before them has had to deal with. Maybe a hundred years ago with the Spanish flu, but even then, society back then was a lot different than it is now. My biggest worry, though, is that the COVID-19 attitudes in the education system have done a lot more damage that has left a lot of our seniors incapable of handling some of the challenges coming their way. In many cases, because of the pandemic and because of the stress, not just kids were put through, but teachers were put through, that school systems were put through, 
we may find that a lot more kids were simply pushed through than have been before. We may find that a lot of kids they went easier on than they should have. And that may be the bigger failure here than any of the other COVID policies, keeping kids out of school or anything like that. The taking away of consequences for one's actions, I'm worried, will have a negative impact because a kid's going to go to college and a professor is not going to care if a kid, I just forgot. Professors are going to be a lot meaner. And if they're going into a trade, they're going into the workforce rather than going to college. A boss isn't going to care if they just decide to skip one day. There are going to be consequences for those actions. So the seniors that are graduating right now are going to have to do a lot more growing up than seniors in the past have had to do. Now, granted, this is nothing new and the pandemic didn't cause some of these things. But it made it a lot easier to let kids get away with some of these things. There are schools across the country who may have let back in and made it, may not have kept kids out as, as much as some other places like California and elsewhere did. But there are schools that were very lax on attendance issues, truancy issues. Schools that were very lax on disciplinary issues. Schools that just wanted to make sure that these kids who had struggled through so much were just able to pass their classes and sometimes given the easy way out. And I'm worried that a lot of our seniors are going to be forced to do a whole lot more growing up because they are not ready, because this was so much easier to just let them pass on through because the pandemic was tough on all of us. That is legitimately the biggest fear I have for a lot of these seniors right now. And I'm not just saying this as somebody who has taught a lot of kids that are graduating but just societally and listening to stories from all over the country, I'm worried. Because we've already caused a major generational issue with what we've put kids through with COVID-19 policies. And now these kids, and they are still kids, even if they're 18, they're still kids, are entering the workforce or entering college or entering life, entering adulthood, vastly socially, emotionally unprepared. They're not, they, they were not forced to mature and grow and develop in the right ways. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty concerned. However, getting through what we've been through takes a certain amount of resiliency. So I'm hoping that that will play a factor and help these kids in pushing on and developing and growing. 232-1542, if you want to call in, be part of the conversation. I probably won't get to all this in this segment, but I will continue in the next segment. But I, I have to talk about this story because there are so many aspects of this that are mind-boggling to me. Louisiana House Speaker Clay Schecksneider used his stepson's company to remodel two Pentagon barracks apartments that he uses and his wife arranged for the appliances to come from the company she works for. This is from KATC, who were reporting based on a report The Advocate did. When a pipe burst at the Pentagon barracks in February 2021, the state agency that oversees the historic structure 
across from the state capitol moved forward in normal fashion to fix the three damaged apartments. Officials hired a state-approved contractor who set about replacing the waterlogged floors and fixtures with the goal of getting it all done before the year's legislative session six weeks later. But House Speaker Clay Schechtsnyder, the leader of the House, insisted on a more comprehensive remodel of the two apartments he uses at the Pentagon. One unit provides living quarters, while the other serves as a lounge for visitors. And Schechtsnyder ditched the state's contractor and brought in a new company to do the work, a small contractor called DAPA Enterprises, owned by his two stepsons, Jonathan and Bo Diaz, according to documents received from an advocate public records request. The documents include emails between state officials, invoices, budgets, and notes from state officials. This is kind of a problem. It's not really that big a deal when you look at in the grand scheme of things. Yes, there is some nepotism type issue here. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably something that happens a whole lot more than anyone would actually care to admit. Here's my issue, or I have two issues here. First, Sheck Snyder, for reasons I still can't fathom, went to address the issue on the House floor. I brung in a crew that my stepson came in and overseen. That is Scott McKay paraphrasing. Clash, uh, Clay Shecksnyder at the, hay, at the hayride. It's probably not the best way to kick off your explainer. What offends us, McKay is saying at the hayride, about this is how badly Shecksnyder is handling it. It violates the basic rules of politics. First of all, if you're explaining, you're losing. You put out a press release on this. You don't put yourself on video from the House chamber that somebody could then use to clobber you in a 30-second ad in, say, next year's lieutenant governor's campaign. Because that's what people are actually whispering, that Sheck Snyder wants to run for lieutenant governor next year. And second, when faced with something small like this, which threatens to become something big if it's not swept away, you absolutely must change the narrative. And Sheck Snyder didn't do that. He brought it up in front of God and everybody on the House floor. I want to talk about, more specifically, the apartments in question when we come back from the break. Also, your calls. I know we've got a caller on the line. Hang on with us through this break, caller. We'll get to you and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL 232. If you want to join in the conversation, we're going to get to the phone lines in just a minute. But I want to finish because McKay at the Hayride points this out. There is something that hasn't gotten a lot of play in this whole Sheck Snyder thing. The reception area. Remember, in, in, in the KTC story, let me go back and, and, and fix and, and reintroduce this. House Speaker Clay Sheck Snyder, the leader of the House, insisted on a more comprehensive remodel of the two apartments he uses at the Pentagon. One unit provides living quarters. The other serves as a lounge for visitors. This is what McKay is pointing out. The reception area that Sheck Snyder had his stepsons build out of the apartment adjacent to his site to his is the site of his weekly luncheon that he only invites Republicans to. And Sheck Snyder has made it a point to hold that weekly luncheon at the exact same time the House Republican delegation has always held its own meetings. So Sheck Snyder spent that money essentially to cut the legs out of the delegation 
as it's the organization from which comes the primary dissatisfaction with his leadership. Sheck Snyder, in a moment of nepotism, had his stepsons fix up a lounge area that he uses to hold meetings with other Republicans, pulling Republicans away from the House Republican delegation weekly meeting. That is Republican leadership. Small wonder that House Republicans can't really get a whole lot done. When your own leader is pulling members of the Republican delegation away from that delegation's weekly meeting in order to undercut them rather than work together to advance what the Republican Party wants to get done and what the voters want the Republican Party to get done. That is the bigger political issue here. Now, is the nepotism thing going to come back and hurt Sheck Snyder? Who knows? He foolishly went in front of cameras on the House floor to talk about it so that all sorts of Democrats could run ads based on that admission. That's a scandal. But the party scandal here is that that nepotism was used to undercut the members of his own party's delegation. If Republicans ever want to right the ship, they have got to start actually getting their own leaders and not relying on Democrats and the governor to choose their leaders for them. I'm going to start speaking with a funny accent and sound like Moon before too long if I keep going because I know he's been preaching this stuff since it began. But that's where we are. We have Republican leadership undercutting the rest of the party for his own agenda, an agenda where he wants to get elected as lieutenant governor and nothing else. He wants to say he's got leadership potential because he led the House as speaker, but he's done nothing as speaker. Nothing Republican has gotten accomplished. A veto override of congressional maps, of, of a, a veto override where, where John Bell uh, vetoed the congressional maps. Okay, that's one thing. He, he fought the governor one time, one victory against John Bell Edwards. And he wants to undercut his party and build his own agenda and say that he's the guy who can be lieutenant governor because that's a stepping stone to governor. And Sheck Snyder must think that because some Democrats came across the aisle and put him in power that he's got the ability to win these statewide races. Republicans have to do a better job. They have to find better leaders. And they need to do so yesterday. Because waiting any longer, especially in the, the direction we're going, where Democrats are going to have a terrible year this year and have nobody to take John Bell Edwards' place next year, if Republicans can't come up with a good speaker when they have the governor's mansion and have the House and have the Senate, there's no point in a Republican Party in Louisiana anymore. 232-1542. We do have a few minutes left. We've got Pamela on the line. Pamela, how are you today? I'm just fine. My basic question is this. I've been calling the Senate and the Congress for the last couple of weeks, and you know how we got to send that money to the Ukraine. Putin, 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 right? Uh-huh. Ask your senator, ask your congressman, what's the top five cartels that are on our border? 
sending the fentanyl across our border, killing our children, sending those people across our border and human trafficking. Name them for me. I, think- I can't get not one of them to give me names. Not one. You can't fight a boogeyman unless you put a label on it and a name on it, right? That's a very good point. We can't fight our border. We can't fight our border because we don't have no names of no cartels. But we need to send all our money to, to go fight Putin, right? How dumb are we? We sit in front of the boob tube every day waiting for information that'll never come, right? Absolutely. Pamela, you, you nailed it. And, and you know what? That, that is a shame. I, I'm, I'm willing to bet if you got through to a cu- I'm, I'm thinking a couple of our congressmen are smart enough. to. I, I know Mike Johnson could probably. Colin, I done called Cotton, uh, uh, Cassidy, uh, uh, everybody. I called 10 to 15 a day to let them know. I'm trying to let them know that our truckers are in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Woo, right over their heads. They don't understand when you're topping off trucks, you're worried that they're not making it home. Yeah. There's no parts for Cummings. There's a lot of parts missing on the Cummings. Your independents are parking. You didn't graduate anybody from your trucking schools in the last two years. So even if you're corporate, you ain't got nobody to drive it. Right? Yeah. I tell you what, we're fixing to have a food shortage. You betcha. The farmers didn't plant last year, and they ain't planting this year. You know, that, good luck to everyone. You know, I want to. I want to thank you, Pamela, very much for the call two three two fifteen forty two. If anybody else wants to call in, but I, I do want to address that point real quick. There is a food shortage coming, and we are in desperate need of a solution for that. Did, so it's not just the food shortage. It's not just the fact that stuff didn't get planted. We also have a fertilizer shortage. And coupled with everything else, we're going to have a disaster on our hands. I wish I could tell y'all there are solutions out there and there are things that we can do to ease this, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's going to get worse before it gets better because this is going to sound conspiratorial. But this is part of the plan. A lot of what we're suffering through right now has been part of the progressive agenda. Now, not as harsh and not as painful as they, they never wanted to say the quiet part out loud, but they don't want us using gasoline. They don't want us using oil. They don't want us using fertilizer. They want us to switch to all non-GMO. They want all organic. In places, uh, I think it's Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka right now is having food shortages because they switched to all organic and there's not enough food that's being produced as a result of it. All right, guys, I'm going to take a weekend break. I'm going to rest, relax, come back, and we're going to have more fun next week here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me, Joe P. Cunningham, on Twitter, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll talk to you guys again next week right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.